0: Hey, this is Pastor Jeremy from Awaken Church. I hope you enjoy this week's message. I started grieving, like, my kids, because I have three kids, 17, 15, 9. I did that. You see that? I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> it's usually the little guy that gets left out, but I've remembered him, too. <laughs> uh, aw, you can feel sorry. Um but I was thinking about them and the times that they're living in, and I, I started grieving a little bit, like, man, they're just going through so much. And, and I'm trying to inform them, the older ones especially, um, about the Middle East right now and to have them, uh, to, to give them a proper lens through which to see it. But then I realized that I shouldn't be grieving, but I should be glad, and maybe both of those can coexist grieving and being glad, but they were born for such a time as this, right, and you were born for such a time as this, and we're all going through it together, we're all here together in these history-making moments, right? Um, many many people, uh, well, probably the majority of us, we've been marked by these moments in history, uh, most of us have some sort of memory of the COVID 19, right? Uh, for most of us probably not so great. Uh, maybe we lost someone we loved during that time. Uh, maybe it was just super hard for you. And whatever it is, it's been very traumatic. And so we've been marked by these history-making moments. Some of you, it's just, you know, during the Ukraine-Russia war, you were just, man, like, that just really had an effect on you, especially if you have uh, relatives over there. And Now with the Middle East crisis, it's like, man, like, how much more can we take, <laughs> right? It's like sometimes you just feel the groan, uh, as Scripture would say, of all creation, How much more can we possibly take? And it's like the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the mental toll, the the mark that that these history-making moments are having on society is just astronomical. And most of us in this room have no idea what it's like to be hiding in a bomb shelter today. Most of us in this room have no idea what it feels like to be shot at and pursued and having to run for our life. Most of us have no idea. Some of you do, but some, most of us don't. And these moments, they're marking society. They're marking society. But here's what I want us to see today. I want us to see Jesus. I want us to see Jesus, and I want us to see him rightly. I want us to see Jesus, and I want, us, I want us to see Him rightly. I want to see Him rightly, because He is the one who's going to lead us through these times. Right. I want us to see Jesus rightly, because He is the one that's going to lead us through these times. He can mark you with His presence in such a way that you aren't marked by history, but by His story. It's a great point, Jeremy. Amen. Amen. He can mark you, I'm serious, I'm going to say that again. He can mark you with his presence in such a way that you aren't marked by history, but by his story. Like in other words, you're not wrecked by everything that's going on around you, but you are wrecked in such a way by his presence that now I have a guide, now I have a a navigator, now I have a source that's going to lead me on through. I refuse to let my, my mind, my emotions, my body be held captive or be marked by history. Rather, I'm going to be marked by His story. Amen. And if we're marked by His story, then everything changes. Second Peter, and you don't have to turn there. I want you to stay in Mark nine. Second Peter, chapter one, verses sixteen and sixteen through eighteen says this: "For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power." And coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter saying this to a church that has gone through it people that were really living in history, living in a geographic location, but this is what marked Peter. 30 years before, or this, this is coming 30 years after, perhaps Christ wrote, or left the earth, after he died and then he ascended. This, Peter is writing this 30 years after, and he is still marked by what Jesus did in his life. He lived through Roman persecution, right? Like he's living, through, he's living through very hard times. He's living through being hunted down because of his faith. He's living through rough times, and he's writing to a people going through rough times. But here's his message. Man, I was an eyewitness of Christ. He hadn't forgotten it in 30 years. And I wonder who this morning has forgotten what your encounter with Jesus was like. If you still remember 30 years after, if you're still marked by what he did for you, if you're not, well, maybe it's time for another because he wants you to be marked and changed by his presence today more than ever. Man, I feel this in my spirit today. Are you still mad about him, in love with him, more convinced that he is the way, the truth, the life than ever because he has a message for us today? And he has to be alive in here. He has, this has to be real to, to us today more than ever. Mark chapter 9. We're going to read about what Peter just, just told about 30 years later. Peter told about this experience that wrecked him, that changed him, that he was an eyewitness of. Now we're going to read about it in Mark chapter 9. Starting with verse 2, here's what we read. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one could bleach them. or they they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only, Jesus only, and there's a few things that stuck out to me uh, about this passage, and I'm just taking off this shirt because I'm hot, and I've gotten uh, some feedback that it gets pretty cold in here, but I get hot in here, so (laughs) was that true feedback, Barb? Okay, (laughs) all right. So the first thing that stuck out to me is that Jesus chooses nearness as the narrative. All right? Jesus chooses nearness as the narrative. Verse 2, the first part of verse 2 is where we're going to be at. So stay there, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus chooses nearness as the narrative. It says that he leads three men up a mountain. Who are the three that he leads? Peter, James, and John, right? So... The words that are used there in, in, in the Bible are Greek words, and two, I'm not going to say what they are because I, I can't pronounce them and you won't remember them, but just know that the word took and led are the two words, like he took them up there, he, he, he took them up the mountain, he led them up the mountain. The word took is a, word, is a Greek word that communicates like he was close beside them, he was near to them. It wasn't like he was walking a long ways away from them like, hey, Pete, James, John, come on. You no, know, he was close beside them, leading them up the mountain. And then the next word for lead or he led them is a word that means bear or carry more often. But I don't think he was carrying all three up there. But I'm just saying like that's another word that communicates closeness or nearness. He was close to them. He was close to them and leading them personally. All right. These are three of four men that he originally called to follow him. That's in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Three of four that he originally first called. Like he shows up on the scene, he says, follow me. Who is it? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They follow him first. Everybody still with me? All right. He leads them by themselves up the mountain. (laughs) Like, did you notice there's nine not coming? But there's three that are going. So Jesus desires for you to get alone with him. <laughs> All the things he could show us if we would just let him lead us, right? There are people that we have to leave behind. Like, what if, what if whenever he was leading them on in this direction, up the mountain, like James was like, hey, 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 what about these other guys? What about the other nine, Jesus? I can't go without them. We live in a very sympathetic culture. We don't want anybody left out or anybody left behind. And I think the feeling is good, but what we have to realize is that there's a greater one to follow than the multitude or the masses or even a particular church culture. There are people you have to leave behind. Nine couldn't go. It's okay because some of your friends or some of your, peep, some of your peeps won't be willing to go where Jesus wants you to go. Some of your own family members won't be willing to go where Jesus is leading you or wants to carry you or wants to take you. Some people just won't do it, but it's okay. It's okay because he's calling, he's, the narrative is nearness now more than ever that he wants to be close to you and he wants you close to him and he's gonna call you, call you near and he's gonna lead you and these days, closer than ever, if you're willing to be led. And his love is so fierce that sometimes he will allow us to go through some really rough times until we'll just accept his leadership. His love is fierce. It's fierce. Because you were not meant to be led by anyone but him. So he leads them up, up the mountain six days after. I thought the word six there and six days after was a little strange. So I'm, so I'm asking these questions. Good Bible study uh, begs you to ask some questions about what you read. You don't just read it mindlessly, but you're like, hey, six days after, what, what's, what's up with that? So I'm assuming it's after the teaching on the cross in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. I'm assuming that's what this means. Six days after Jesus told them that he was going to be betrayed, killed, and then rise again. It's six days after Jesus told them if they're going to follow him, they have to carry their cross. Six days after. Remember, these are fishermen. They just gave up their nets. Now they have to carry a cross. (sighs) Right? (laughs) This is the Jesus they gave up everything to follow. Now he is going to die and rise again, which they have no context for understanding. They have no context for understanding what, they're say, what he's saying to them. They didn't have this like we have as far as the New Testament to go off of. Like, yeah, I read that in the Gospels. No. They had no context for understanding. They could not understand it. I think we've, we've encountered quite a few things that we don't understand. Perhaps even more so recently with all these history-making moments, what is our context for understanding? We have no context. So Jesus, he had just dropped this truth bomb on them that they had no idea what was going on. So you die, we die, yay, (laughs) Like, okay, you're going to die. I'm carrying a cross. I'm going to die on that cross. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Wow. (sighs) Six is also the number of man. We realize that, that man was created on the sixth day, right? So six reminds us of our frailty and our weakness. It reminds us that we were created on the sixth day by a God who breathed life into our nostrils. I want you to get this. It reminds us not just of the dirt from which we came, but the destiny to which we'll return. Amen. This world won't last forever, but God will, God's word will last. That's Isaiah 40 verse eight. So and on this mountain, Jesus is showing them eternity so their hearts don't get weighed down with the temporary. Let me say that again. On the mountain that he's leading them up, he's showing them the eternal so their minds don't get, or their hearts don't get weighed down with the temporal, the temporary. Because how many of us get weighed down with the temporary? All right. I was weighed down there on Wednesday with the temporary, leaning against the wall during the noon prayer set. I was weighed down with the temporary. Weighed down. But then God spoke. Then God spoke. He ministers to us in a way that his, when, whenever we collide with the eternal, whenever his eternal word, his word never fails, it never fades away. And so when his word, whether spoken through someone or you read it yourself and there's an encounter there, it's like, it's like your mind gets, everything gets shifted now. And I'm like, okay, I was focused on the temporary, but now it's all eternal. And I realize where my mind should be focused, my heart shouldn't be weighed down now because I know all this isn't going to last. But it's a hike up the mountain, right? (laughs) It's a hike up the mountain. I did a little bit of research, and there's a little bit of debate on which mountain they actually went up. It was either Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor. Scholars are a little bit crazy about it. There's a lot of disagreement. But anyways, both of the climbs are steep. Everybody say steep. Steep. So Mount Hermon is like over 2,000 feet. Mount Tabor is a little under 1,000 feet. So it's steep. (laughs) It's a steep climb. And it's steep right now. In this world, it's steep. For some of us in our own personal lives, like it's steep. The climb is hard. With all that's going on, especially in the news, remember the disciples just heard some news of their own that rocked their world. Jesus is going to die, and then now they have to carry their cross, deny their own life, follow him. And if they're ashamed of him, then when he comes back in his glory, he'll be ashamed of them. It's like, God, oh, what is going on? Now you're, this, this, so the climb is steep. You catch what I'm saying? The climb is steep. With the news that we hear, with how God is leading us sometimes, like the climb is steep. It's a steep climb. But Jesus desires to lead us. And remember that mountains offer an excellent opportunity to encounter God. It's a a revelation for you there, okay? So when, when the mountain is steep, when the climb seems so hard, so arduous, so difficult, so... I don't know if I'm going to make it. Just remember, mountains offer an excellent place to encounter God. People in the Middle East right now are so hungry for salvation. Mountains offer an excellent place to encounter God. When the climb is steep, just remember, you're due for an encounter. I think that was better than one amen. All right, if I have to ask for it, I probably didn't deserve it, but I think that one did. All right, so check this out. So to make it through, my view of Jesus will not do. I know it rhymes, it's a little corny, but I'm a dad, so just realize that. Uh, To make it through, my view of Jesus will not do. Everybody say that. To make it through, my view of Jesus will not do. So there has to be a change. There has to be a change, and this is exactly what he wanted his disciples to see, and I've never seen it before, but he, he... there has to be a change. So Jesus was transfigured. So they have all this, this crazy news that they just heard about him and about their own lives, and Jesus takes them up a mountain, and now Jesus is transfigured before them. That's a word we don't often use, but it means transformed. It was a metamorphosis um, uh, Rob, Pastor Rob, last week used the same word in a different context, but it's the same word, metamorphosis. It's like his, 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 he was literally changed. His appearance was changed. Like when we use metamorphosis, it's, a, it's when, a, when a caterpillar goes to a butterfly, right? Their appearance changes. Like, what, that? That was a caterpillar? Jesus' appearance changed. There was a real change. His clothes became dazzling white, like bright. Like the 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 word that was used there for explaining how how, how bright his clothes were never again is used. It's only used one time in the whole New Testament. And the the, the picture that I got, it was like it was like a strobe light, bright, man. Like it was like, like but just like continual bright. We can't even imagine it, but it was it was like light itself. Matthew says also in his account of this same, same episode that his face was as bright as the sun. It's like, here, here's, here's what was happening. Here's what was happening. I want you to get this. Who Jesus really was came shining through for just a moment. Who Jesus really was came shining through in just a moment. And this is going to make you happy. happy, I promise. John would later write about Jesus in Revelation that he is the light of heaven, Revelation 21, 30, that he is the light. There's no need for the sun there because Jesus is the light, right? This is who Paul says dwells, dwells in inapproachable light in 1 Timothy 6.16. This is who John says is the true light in John 1.7 and 1 John 1.5, but it's like for a moment the divinity of Jesus was shining through and the disciples could see it and they couldn't comprehend it, but it's like, this is, this is it. This is really me. This is who you're following, right? It's like, for just a moment, the, 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 God allowed the eternal to break through into the temporary. Why? Because they needed it. The news was rough. The climb was tough and they just needed this context of who was doing this, who was saying this that they just heard. Like, this is God. It's not man, it's God. And it was a God thing. I want you to listen to this. It was a God thing. It says he was transfigured. It's passive. It's a passive verb there. So what it means is the divinity acted upon Jesus as humanity. I never realized that. Divinity acted upon Jesus as humanity. Here's what happened. God the Father changed Jesus as human form in that moment. God acted. It was a God thing. Jesus was the object of action outside of himself as God the Father acted upon him. Why? Because he wanted the disciples to see his glory. He wanted them to see his glory. Glory means honor, it means God's manifestation that can't be described. It's God's intrinsic worth, it's majesty. It's what the Father, according to John, made known to them in 1 John 1, 1 through 3. Glory. He wanted him to see his glory. Listen to this. John would later say, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1:14. Jesus prayed before he went to the cross in John 17, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Glory, he wanted him to see his glory. Speaking of Jesus, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter one, listen to this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And just for a moment, light to bring some sort of context to all that they had just heard and all that they were going to endure. Bam, I'm going to show you my light. I'm going to let the eternal break through in the temporal just for a minute so you can understand the magnitude of what's going on and the the enormous uh, divinity or the divinity of who you're following. Just for a moment. You know that God responds to desires for him? Moses and Elijah appeared talking to Jesus, which is really weird. Verse 4. And there's a lot theologically to say here. We've, if you've been around the church culture, we've probably heard a lot of these before. Moses represented the law, Elijah represented the prophets. Basically, all of scripture testifies of Christ is what this moment signifies. It's like in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, after Jesus rose from the grave and he was walking with some guys, he began with Moses and the prophets explaining all things concerning himself. Like he is the culmination of everything. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Moses and Elijah met God on a mountain. (laughs) Moses' mountaintop experience was very much like this one. The glory of God came down on Mount Sinai. There was a cloud, there was smoke, there was fire, thunder, and a voice from heaven. Moses' face shone with God's glory when he came down. It was literally shining. It wouldn't last. It would would fade away, but his, his face was shining when he came down. Elijah's mountaintop experience was a bit different. He was standing on the mountain before the Lord, and there was an earthquake, wind, and then fire, but the Lord wasn't in any of it. The Lord was in the silence or in the whisper. Different experiences, both different, and this one at the transfiguration was different. The glory of God, in other words, or the pre incarnate Christ, God's shadow, and a voice from heaven, all right? The glory of God, pre-incarnate Christ, God's shadow, and a voice from heaven. People from the past and people of the present standing in his presence. You know, Moses prayed for this moment. Moses prayed for this moment. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 18, Moses prayed that he would see his glory. And God wouldn't let him because his flesh couldn't take it like it was. His humanity as it was couldn't take seeing the, the glory of God. <laughs> like, just, just seeing it. like a, it, with, it's, it's, In all of what it is, his flesh couldn't see the glory of God like he was. God did hide Moses in a cavern. He put his hand over him and he passed by him so at least Moses could see his back, right? That was the grace of God. If Moses would have seen him in all of his fullness, he would have died. God said this in Exodus thirty-three nineteen: I will make my goodness pass before you. That's what, that was his answer to Moses' request. I'll make my goodness pass before you. So here's what I believe. I think God is raising up us to desire more than his goodness, rather his glory. So we want more than your hand, we want your face. We want more than 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 just your blessings, we want you. And that was Moses' desire as well. He's like, listen, you're you're telling us to go, but you haven't said who's going with us. And then he said, I'm not leaving unless you go with us. He wanted God's presence more than direction. He wanted God's presence more more than blessings. He wanted God's presence. Show me your glory. Elijah, we're still on Moses and Elijah. Elijah was depressed and on the run from a terrorist named Jezebel. He was told to go and stand on the mount before the Lord, and then the Lord passed by. That's, that's 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And so here is Moses and Elijah on the mount. They're fully present, fully in God's glory, in the presence of Jesus. Show me your glory. Okay. <laughs> Here's Jesus, right? Show me your glory was Moses' request. Okay, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. The Lord's presence didn't just pass by, but it manifested fully through Jesus. If just for a moment, his presence manifested like God's glory had a face, and it was Jesus. Jesus. And so here's what happened. Those three were blessed in that moment by the desire of the law and the prophets. They were serving us, as Peter would tell in First Peter chapter one, verses 10 through 12, that the prophets desired to look into the things concerning Christ. They knew that they weren't serving themselves, but they were serving us who would come after them as they, as they rode and as they prophesied and as they received visions about Christ. They knew they were serving us. And so here is Moses and Elijah serving now the future generations of Peter and James and John in that moment. We want to see your glory. I'm going to go out and I'm going to stand and I'm going to encounter you. I want to encounter you. What we, what we don't realize is that <laughs> what consumes us has the ability to consume others. What we don't realize is that our desires have the, have the, um, have the capacity to influence others after us, right? We can't... <laughs> We can't let our desire die down as, as, as in our generation, and there's many different generations um, in this room, but what you have to realize is that your desire to see God's glory, your desire to encounter him, you may never get to encounter him exactly like what you're praying for, but the future generations will be, will be invited into an encounter even greater than what you wanted. That's what Moses prayed to see God's glory, and here come Peter and James and John up the mountain, right? So their desire was, was serving future generations. So how do you live then, right? So do you get, do you get weighed down with the temporal in the midst of, of, of your life here on earth? Absolutely not. You let your desire for God, you let let your desire to see him, you let your desire for encounter continue to shape your life, and, and you let Jesus lead you through all of these things. You let him lead you up the steep climb because you know there's more at stake there's more at stake. If you, if you lose faith, if you lose affection, if you stop coming to church, if you, if you lose sight of, your, of, of what those, those moments that marked you, there's so much more at stake than you even realize. Right? There's so much more at stake. And so what do you have to do, man? You got to keep pressing in you got to keep remembering those moments that marked you because they're going to prepare you for when you come down the mountain. Because next we're going to talk about what happens when you come down the mountain. But you got to remember those moments that marked you. Like Peter did 30 years later. Man, I remember. I was an eyewitness of His Majesty, Tom and Susan. They have a great story of when they planted a church in um, in Key West or in, in the Keys. And they had a vision when they were planting that church that it wasn't just they were planting a church for them, but there was actually going to be like nationwide impact and they were going to plant more churches and they never knew that they would be involved in planting a church these days, but God knew that they were serving future generations with their desire even as young people. Does that make any sense? That your desire now is influencing future generations. And this is what's happening. Your desire to come and seek God. Your desire to come to the house of prayer like Shira was reading today. Like God is cleaning house. <laughs> he really is. He's cleaning house. A consumeristic mentality is not going to do anymore. Like I'm just here to take it all in for myself. No man. Like you can come in at that level but you're serving future generations. You're serving future generations. And now Jesus, it says, verses 5 through 8, Jesus is the beloved son. I'm going to put a worship pad on, Jeff, please. Jesus is the beloved son. I'm going to land this plane. Everybody say that. Jesus is the beloved son. So here's what we have for our points, and I think they're, um, they're, they're progressive. They progress, so. Jesus chooses nearness as his narrative. Secondly, my view of Jesus will not do if I'm to make it through, all right? It has to change. Thirdly, Jesus is the beloved son. And he wants to build this into us. He wants to mark us with this reality. That he is the beloved son. He is the beloved son. Not just a son. Not just the son. But he is the beloved son. What does God say? The father out of a cloud says, this is my beloved son. He wants to build this into us. In other words, he wants, this is gonna build us up. Now, Peter, in that moment, what he wanted to do, he wanted to build three tabernacles. One for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because that's where the glory of of God was contained in the past. Let me go ahead and build some tabernacles. It's good for us to be here. It's gonna stay here (laughs) And then after the glory of God came in the tabernacle, like it filled the tabernacle. And so of course Peter's like, Peter's desire is right. But Jesus was wanting to do something a little bit deeper, a little bit more. He wanted to build this into him. Jesus didn't answer Peter. (laughs) He didn't scold him. God just came. It's, he wasn't hard on Peter for his wrong idea about this encounter and what this means. He, God just came. He wasn't hard on him. He just came. It says a cloud overshadowed them. I love the word overshadowed. It's only used here. And when Mary and Joseph were about to have a baby, the Christ. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the announcement to her was, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. That's Luke one thirty-five. And then it's also used when Peter's shadow heals people in the book of Acts. To overshadow means to cast a shadow or to shade over. And I love this this definition most. It means to envelop in a haze of brilliancy. The past had brought them this far, but now they needed this revelation of Jesus. You've come this far You've heard some really hard news. Now you need this revelation to overshadow you. You need to be enveloped in this, in this truth now. A cloud overshadowed them. How many of you know that, like, I was trying to see if we could make a, a shadow here, but, um, like, I know I've been walking next to my son Sometimes, and especially if the sun's hitting us just right and you look on the pavement, like my shadow is really big, right? And then his shadow is, especially when he was just a little guy, his shadow would be really small. And we'd be like, man, (laughs) your shadow is bigger than mine, dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What God's wanting us to see this morning is that his shadow is bigger than ours. It's big enough for us. Right. But the narrative is nearness and you're not going to be overshadowed unless you're near. That's a great point. Right? You're not going to be overshadowed unless you're near to him. I could I could see Matteo's shadow and if we're walking together like maybe I could overtake my shadow could overtake him but I had to be near to him. Does that make sense? The narrative is nearness. And so he's bringing us close with all of our with all of our our, our trouble, with all of our heartaches, with all of our our misconceptions, with all of our stuff, he's he's drawing us nearer now more than ever. And, And he's saying, look, like this truth can overshadow you. It is the biggest, this truth, if this truth overshadows you, you can walk through whatever valley you're going through. Just let this overshadow you. You don't understand about the cross, you have no idea what it's going to be like standing by the cross as I am dying there, but if you let this truth overshadow you, it's going to get you through anything that you're going through. You got to let the, the eternal take over the temporal and let my shadow cast a bigger shadow than anything else that you're going through. Even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death why can't we fear no evil because man I am overshadowed by something greater the lord is my shepherd the tabernacle housed the presence of jesus before but now as john says in 1:14 the word became flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us this is big this is big Jesus' body housed the presence of God. The glory of God now has a face in Jesus. Like if you want to, what what's God, what's what's God like? It's Jesus. <laughs> Where is he? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And his voice is better. And I really spilled all that anointing oil. His voice is better because now you have an overshadowing presence, something that's bigger than you, something that's greater than you, the greatest truth you can ever grasp. It's overshadowing you. He's overshadowing you, but now he's like, this is my son, beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. And that's the hard part. Because what that means is that we stop talking and we start listening. It means his voice is most important to us. He is the influencer, right? We can tune into a lot of different influencers. We can tune into a lot of different news stations and all this and stay informed. I'll give you some of my news sources that I trust. I'd be glad to do that. His voice is better. So listen, here's what happens. I watch the news really late at night and then what what happens? I can't hardly sleep. My wife is like, why'd you do that? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying his voice is better and his commentary is better on what's going on in the world. What is bringing you unrest? His voice is better. What is bringing you anxiety? His voice is better. What's causing you worry? Like, man, what was causing me to be cowered against the wall? His voice is better, Jeremy. Let his truth overshadow what's trying to take you over. Let him overshadow you. Somebody read Psalm 91, verse 1, and I need you to look it up, and I need you to read it really loud. Psalm 91, verse 1. Psalm 91, verse 1. Look it up and read it. You got it? Yes, God, we want to dwell in your shadow, in the secret place of the Most High. And we abide in his shadow and nothing. Oh, my goodness. It is the safest place. It's the safest place. We're not taking sides. It's not political. I mean, it's very political what's happening. But, man, I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm going to stay in my lane. i got to get to the secret place. That's all i got to give. if I can get to the secret place. Here's what I can understand. In Zechariah 14, 14, it says that God is raising up all these nations against his people. He's raising them up. He's doing it. If I keep reading, I realize that the whole narrative is about salvation. Then when the fullness of us non-Jews comes in, like when, when all of the non-Jews come into, into fullness, come and receive salvation, blinders are going to begin to be taken off of the Jewish people. Because they've been blinded and hardened for our sake. Can you imagine the grace of God? Why has there always been so much conflict? You need a biblical narrative, a biblical narrative. And this is what is going to get us through. You're gonna be responsible by the way, for carrying truth. You know that? You're gonna be responsible. You're gonna be responsible for how he is speaking to you individually. So what's he saying? His beloved son, it means that he is the chosen one. It's a messianic title. This is the one that I've set my love upon. He's chosen. He's not just anyone, but he is my beloved son. He's the one. You're looking for you're looking for something, he is the one. <laughs> you're looking for love, he is the one. You're looking for eternity, he is the one. <laughs> he is the one. He is the one. And then, and then as we realize, he is the beloved of God. We realize also that his people, Israel, are the beloved of God. That's Romans chapter 11. And then over and over throughout the New Testament, as, as Paul is writing it, and John is writing, We are the beloved. We're the beloved. He's, he's, in, he's invited us, check this out, and I'm closing with this. He's invited us into this love. Because Jesus would later say in John 17, that the same love with which the Father loves the Son, that is what Jesus is praying for in John 17 that we encounter. That we know the same love, and God is love, that we know the same love with the, the beloved. The same love that God has for his Son. There is no love without God, and so God is saying, he wants us to know this kind of love, and so, so this is what overshadows us. This is my beloved Son. And even in your worst moment, you are loved. Even in your worst failure, you are loved. Even though there's rockets flying and and terror everywhere, you are loved by God. And God so loved the world that he gave his beloved for me and for you so that we don't perish, so that we don't spend eternity without him, so we can live. Forever with him. So there are moments that mark us. This was a marking moment for Peter. You know, God never stops loving. He's drawing you near. Even when all we see is hate, he's drawing us near. You believe that? That he loves. So I want you to know this. You're gonna leave this place realizing this is that you are loved. perfectly, perfectly. No matter how hard this, the climb has been, no matter your love, that he's inviting you into this love. It's interesting that, that the narrative on the mountain wasn't this is, this is my warrior. <laughs> he is a warrior. This is my beloved son. That's why we sing songs like, My Beloved is the Most Beautiful. Because He is. And once that truth captivates you, it's so hard for anything else to captivate you. We have moments like my moment back there on the wall. And you've had moments in your bedroom, you've had moments in the car. Some of you are still going through ca- thing, this, this time where something else is captivating you. But he wants his love to capture your heart. So bow your heads with me for a minute. Holy Spirit come. This is what you're invited into today. An encounter with the beloved son because his presence is here. He desires to overshadow you, but you have to be willing to be led by him. uplifted hand, if you're in the room and you've never encountered the love of God, but you're hungry to encounter his love, you just lift up your hand. Anybody in the room like that? I want to encounter the love of God today. I want him to overshadow me. Anybody in the room like that? Anybody in the room just say, I really needed this message today that God used it to touch my heart in some way. Just lift your hand. Anybody like that? God used this message to touch my heart today. And so Jesus, we just bless what you're doing. We bless, I bless how you're hitting people's hearts. We invite you to be the the, the overshadowing narrative in the days ahead. We invite you to to wreck us with your love. In those moments when we're cowering up against the wall, Lord, we thank you for your overshadowing presence that points us out. When we're driving in the car and we're crying with tears streaming down our face, I thank you for your overshadowing presence. I thank you that in the midst of the worries and, and how hard the climb is, Lord, that there is a mountaintop experience waiting for us. Lord, all of our hope is in you. All of our hope is in you. All of our hope is in you. It's not Our hope is not in our finances. It's not in our marriage or our singleness. Our hope is not in our jobs. Our hope is not in our children. Our hope is not in excuse me, the peace which exists or doesn't exist in this world, our hope is in you. You are the beloved son. In Jesus' name. what I believe is happening. I believe God is raising you up and pulling you near with more of a desire for his presence than ever before. I believe it. He's drawing, he's calling people to come to this house of prayer. And listen, we are going to be ready to equip and send out. We are. We're going to be equipped and ready to send out. I'm telling you, this is what's happening as we submit to God's design for his house as a house of prayer. Just get ready. (laughs) Get ready because he's doing it. He's already doing it. He's going to do it so much more. And I wish I could talk for another three hours, but I know you got to get your kids. So, You're dismissed today. If you have kids back in the kids' church, go to kids' church and get them. Just blessings, blessings, blessings. And if you have, we'd love for you to come to Wednesday, 7 to 8, noon to 1 or 6 to 8. Um, As the Lord leads, I'm gonna be posting some resources for you on the church hub. Get the church app, go to the hub. I'll be posting some resources with some people that I trust and their commentary on the conflict in the Middle East. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure you like and share the podcast. And if you're ever in the Highlands County area, uh, make sure you stop by and visit us. Uh, We're located at 1121 uh, Memorial Drive in Avon Park, Florida. Uh, We'd love to meet you here.